Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. We thank you that he is a man of God. Lord, we thank you for the words that he's going to bring this morning. But Lord, most of all, we pray that you will just anoint him with your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for him. Amen. Amen. Well, um, thank you, Jane, and uh, King's Church. It's really encouraging to be with you and um, to be with you in person and to you online. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Um, It's it's just brilliant to be here. So, listen, we're we're going to be continuing in this uh, letter of Hebrews, and specifically today we'll be at chapter 9. Now, if you recall last week, um, Paul used the tagline, this time it's personal. And uh, if the writer of this letter were to have a tagline to Hebrews, and I'm not being creative here, and I haven't got sort of uh, nice pictures going up or whatever, I mean, quite simply, for the whole letter, it would be, with Jesus, everything is better. You just get that. With Jesus, everything is better. And in the first two chapters, Jesus is better than the angels. And then in three and four, Jesus is better than Moses and any other leader. He is better. And then in four and seven, four to seven chapters, he's, he's, the, he's the great high priest. There isn't any better than him. He is the great high priest. Chapter eight, as we heard last week, Jesus has a better covenant. Chapters nine and ten, is a better sacrifice. You see, with, it, with Jesus, everything is better. So with that in mind, you have to remind, you remember who he's writing to. That's why it's called Hebrews. So the general train of thought is that um, they were Jews who had become Christians. Now, if you think about it, that was the early church. I mean, that was the foundation of the early church. It was uh, Jews who had become followers of Jesus Christ. And and in the beginning of Acts, you see that happen. Now, for those who are now, for the Jews who are now struggling under persecution from family and friends and those close by them, and feeling the pull of their former life in Judaism, this letter... It reminds them that the Jewish law and and the covenants and the tabernacle, you know, and the sacrifices, all what they were was just a signpost. What for? To something better. That's what the writer is doing here. So in chapter ten, verse one, you get this line: "The law, all that was, the law was a shadow of something better. It's a shadow of the good things to come." You know, a shadow is not the real thing. I hope you get that. It's not the real thing. You know, we've been living in Zoom for over a year. Uh, Actually, well over a year. But it's not the real thing. You do get that, don't you? I mean, it's helpful. I've found it really helpful. But it isn't the real thing. The other week, I was on a leadership course with uh, New Frontiers, and uh, we were finally able to meet for the first time together in person since October last year. 
And the people were walking around smiling and grinning and going, I get to see real people. I'm talking to real people. And you know, it's a person to person in the present. Real people. So this chapter, this chapter like many others in Hebrews, is, uh, is not pointing to a shadow, but it's pointing to the reality of all that Jesus is. And, you know, at the beginning of the letter, you've got this amazing statement. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the real thing. So it begs the question for the hearers of this letter, why would you go back to a faint copy of what you can now have in the reality of the person of Jesus. Why would you do that? So tabernacles, covenants, sacrifice, you know, the Jewish Christians get this. It may be a little bit unfamiliar to us. That doesn't mean to say, my friends, it's not important. But it's, for them, it's their language. They get all of this. And all that's wrapped up in their history is just unfolded in this letter. This brilliant letter written to the Hebrews. With Jesus, everything is better. So we're going to look at um, Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 22. If you have a Bible, always good to know where Hebrews is. And so I'll open it up at Hebrews 9. If not, you'll find the words will come up on screen. Verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal Redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Many of you at some time probably decided that you were going to read the Bible, the whole Bible in one year or one go. And uh, you, perhaps it was January, and you were full of great resolution. I'm going to do this. And you, you were weeks in, you were weeks in. And then, um, and for some of you, you came to a grinding halt. Leviticus. <laughs> you get me, don't you? Leviticus. You died in Leviticus. And you may have been reading with me up until now, and even now, as I'm reading this, a sense of a glaze, heifers, blood, bulls, calves, you know, uh, a, a glaze beginning to form over your eyes. This is Leviticus language. Stay with me. All right, stay with me. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. Wouldn't have you liked to have been there? Huh? And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Thank you, Julian, for giving me this passage. Thank you. We're going to cover two aspects this morning, and that's why blood? You must be thinking that. Why blood? And secondly, what does it say to me now? What does the blood say to me now? Why blood? So if you, if you stayed with this reading, you couldn't have missed the frequent mention of blood. Well, I mean, what is this fixation about blood? I mean, the word is used over 400 times in the Bible. I mean, the word faith is 270. Now, the, the last line of the passage I read is of huge significance, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So, what is this big deal? Well, part of the problem, my friends, is that sin is perceived as, it is not that big a deal. That's part of the problem. So you have cake recipes on Sunday sin cake and chocolate sin or sin ice cream. We have sin cities. We have sin cocktails. We have original sin cocktail bars. One writer says this. He says that sin always seems to concern the pleasurable com consumption of something. And then he continues and he says that everybody knows then that sin means indulgence or enjoyable naughtiness. In other words, he's saying, people think it is not that serious. I think that's a fair reflection of our culture. The writer of the Hebrews knows much better than that. Knows much better than that, my friends. Now, much deeper significance. Sin affects our relationship with God. And then it's... It, permeates out to our relationship with others. You know, you see this right at the beginning of humanity in Genesis 3. As you read it, you can see that the consequences as it starts, it just begins to roll out. And it is absolutely catastrophic. One after the other after the other. I mean, no one can say that God, doesn't that God takes a light view of sin. You can't say that. And perhaps the most central truth about God is 
that he is holy. He is holy. That means he is set apart. That means, that means he's utterly pure, utterly good. I'm so glad we started with that song, holy, holy, holy. I think we have no idea about the holiness of God. You know, the problem with us is we're just messy, clumsy, self-centered, sin-orientated people. And if you look at the encounters that the people have in the presence of God, it just throws your eyes open. You're aware that the holy presence is not a safe place to be. So you go to Isaiah 6 and you, you read Isaiah, who was regarded, by the way, as the most righteous man in all of Israel at the time. You go to him and, and he comes into the presence of God and he, he just falls apart. He just, and he says that, I'm undone, I'm undone. It comes apart in the presence of God. And, and John in the book of Revelation, he falls in the presence of God, he falls at his feet as if he was dead. On one occasion, Peter gets out of the boat and he gets onto the lake shore and he falls on at Jesus' knees. He says, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. God's presence is a place where even the angels cover their faces. Having a clue. And the readers of this letter, you know, they're reminded of the clear connection between sin and death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You don't lightly traits into the presence of God. So here in verse 12, he, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. You know, he didn't enter in the same way as everybody else entered. Now, if you were transported back in time uh, when God gave these right specific instructions in regards to how to approach him in the old covenant, you knew that your sinfulness was a problem. You knew it. This is what would happen. You would bring an offering, a sin offering. And depending on what you could afford and who you were, you would bring an animal. And as you, when you brought that animal, you would put your hands on it and you would confess your sin on the head of this animal. This animal was your substitute. It was paying the price for your sin. Now, when you confess your sin, it's not, oh, Lord, I've sinned. You would confess your sin. You get it? You would be open and honest and transparent about what you'd done. And after confession, you would then slit the throat of the animal and blood would be all over the place. And the Jews understood that this animal was dying in their place as they stood in that pool of blood. So don't tell me that sin is a light matter. It's a serious matter. Just imagine it. It's midday. I mean, you join the queue. You, you, you can smell the stench of death in the air. 
and you've joined the queue. And there's, there's others in front of you who apparently have sinned. And then you, you, you can smell it. And then there's, you can hear this hum in the air because you can hear the flies. It's hot. And, then, and you can hear the sound of the animals. And then as you walk closer to the altar to where the priest is, you feel that your feet get a bit cloggy. And you realize that's blood. And that's why your feet are so sticky. The effects of sin are dire, my friends. You know, at one mealtime, Jesus was criticized for not washing his hands. And he said, look, the dirt in your heart is more important than the dirt in your hands. And what comes out of a mouth is more important than what goes in it. And then he said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, deceit, envy, slander, folly. I mean, that's... All these things make a person unclean. A number of years ago, I was listening on the radio and I heard the crime walter, Minette Walters, and uh, she was talking about the whole art of writing these crime novels. And as the conversation continued, she said, one of the frequent things people say to me is, how does a nice person like you create such ugly characters and gory situations? Good question, good question. And her reply is, who said I was nice? Good answer. The author and playwright Somerset Maughan once said, if I wrote down everything I'd ever thought and done, people would call me a monster of depravity. Sin is addictive and it's destructive. And furthermore, it can haunt you. It can play in your head things that you said or you did decades ago. It's absolutely ruinous. It's so bad that only Good Friday will solve it. It pollutes us. Those we love, it pollutes too. It separates us from God. It's so dark and foul. Listen, only death can fix it. So the Bible tells us that we cannot get rid of it without sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness. The shedding of blood in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, is essential. Well, if that was essential, my goodness me, you need a better sacrifice for the New Covenant. So verse 12 continues, he, he, but he entered the most holy place. <laughs> The place of God's presence, once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Once for all. You know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Past, present, <laughs> praise God, future too. You don't have to go back and forth. And uh, another sacrifice. No, once and for all. You went in that hymn, isn't it, by Charles Wesley, over a thousand tongues to sing he has that line, his blood can what? His blood can, you can't say it very well behind masks, it's really difficult, but his blood can make the foulest clean. And Charles Wesley understood, 
He understood what he was like. And he understood the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's no wonder that on the, on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. Praise God. So what does the blood say to me now? When we take communion, we often refer to that, what Jesus said at the last Passover meal in the upper room. And he, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Matthew says, for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, there is no longer a barrier because of Jesus' blood, because of his death. There is no longer a barrier between you and God. It's that important that when you go into the presence of God, you are not going to be broken apart. Walk into the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. Hallelujah. Because his blood cleanses us from all sin. What does his blood say to us now? It says, he says, you have access, my friends. You don't have to go through all of that. You have access. You can come into his presence. The old tabernacle had a curtain and into the holy place where, where the sort of like the located, weighted presence of God was. And the high priest could, high priest could only go in there once a year. The veil, it says, it says the veil has been torn in two. It's ripped apart from top to bottom. Nothing's going to stop my people coming into my presence. Nothing's going to stop the presence of God coming out to my people. Praise God. I get a bit excited. How much more then, verse 14. And with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. That's an interesting statement. I haven't got time to go into all of that. But much of the old covenant, you know, it dealt with external sin. Things said, things done. Transgressions of the law. But Jesus' blood, secondly, Jesus' blood, it cleanses us outside and in. How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences? See, the, the, this new covenant goes right to the core of your being. And, and that's essential. It enables us to live in this new covenant, as Paul said, because it is personal. Right to the core of your being. In fact, Jeremiah prophesied um, years, hundreds of years before this, of this new covenant. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll put it in their hearts. The new covenant affects the inside as well as the outside. And Jesus said, you, Jesus said, you must be born again. You know, you become a new Christian. You become, I mean, a new creation. You're not a reconditioned model. You do get that, don't you? To become a follower of Jesus, you become a new person. You get a new life. You get a new heart. Oh, it's new. Not revamped. His blood cleanses our conscience. It works from the inside out. We don't do this turning over a new leaf. Or trying to be a better person every New Year's Day. You know, I'm going to try to be a better person this year. No, you are a new person in Christ. That's the new covenant. The old covenant, the, the sacrifice was involuntary. The new covenant, my friend, the sacrifice was voluntary. Listen, 
he, what did he say? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy. He just doesn't want us to be forgiven. He wants us. He doesn't want you just to be forgiven. He wants you. You. He really does. And finally, my friends, his blood is still speaking. His blood is still speaking. You fast forward to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, and it says this, You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is that? What is that? Abel was the first person to be killed in the, in the Bible. He was murdered by his brother Cain. Just, that was after humanity fell. It's when they turned their back on God, wanting to do their own thing. And we read that Cain was jealous of Abel's sacrifice. And then God says, to the, says really haunting words, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground. Andrew Wilson, who's an elder and Bible teacher at King's Church London, he puts it this way. He says, Abel's blood speaks and it cries out from the ground. I want justice. I want justice. I want the one who did this to be punished. I'm innocent. I've been murdered. God, give me justice. Punish this wickedness. Condemn the guilty. And that's a legitimate word. But Jesus' word speaks a better, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. It doesn't cry out for judgment. His blood doesn't cry out for punishment. His blood cries, Father, forgive them. He's not calling for condemnation. He's calling for forgiveness. He's calling for acquittal. His blood speaks a better word. Amen? It's a word of mercy. Abel's word is Welcome me, Father. Exile him. Jesus' word is, exile me and welcome them. It's totally different. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I love the mercy of God. Andrew then speaks of how Abel's blood starts the drumbeat of death. And it's the first domino to fall, death. And then this person began that person, and this person begat that person, and they died, and he died, and she died, and he died. Death, 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 death. Jesus' blood is the exact opposite. From the moment he steps out of the tomb, his blood speaks life, resurrected life. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Abel's blood spoke death. Jesus' blood speaks life. 
life, life, new life in her, new life in him, new life in that person, new life in that person, resurrected life. I've come to give you life. And from that moment on, again and again, new life, new life, new life, new life. Christians, don't look back. There's no point. Look forward. Look forward. Don't get regulated. Don't get regulated religion. Get resurrected. Resurrected life. His blood makes the foulest clean. His blood speaks a better word. Mercy. 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 What is it? God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. My friends, he is exactly that. Receive his life and live in it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.